Hello to all of our quality-minded listeners and a special shout out to our Mayo Clinic Care Network members. Welcome to Key Into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast that focuses on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. Today, we're going to talk with an expert in gathering, measuring, and understanding patient experience data. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at the Mayo Clinic and a vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality. Co-hosting with me today is Kelly Vorseth. Kelly? Welcome to everyone joining us today for this conversation. I'm Kelly Borseth, a director in quality at Mayo Clinic, specializing in patient experience. Today, we have a unique opportunity, as Dr. Morgenthaler stated, to dive into multiple aspects of patient experience data. What I love about this topic is that we call it experience data, but it's really our opportunity to listen to what our patients and their loved ones are saying. And with that, I feel we are accountable and responsible to share their voice to those within our organization. And when we do that, there's so many benefits. So really looking forward to this conversation. Kelly, I am also really looking forward to sharing today's topic with our listeners. I mean, patient experience is so fundamental to delivering health care. It's got that care on the end of it there. And in the realm of healthcare, every single interaction, procedure, and service contributes to the patient's overall experience. So in quality would like to measure these experiences so that healthcare providers can pinpoint areas that need enhancement, ensure that the services not only meet the patient's needs, but maybe exceeds their expectations. And this process is crucial for finding those opportunities to improve and become more and more excellent. But how you measure something and how you interpret those data really matters. And I was thinking about this coming up and uh, a few thoughts came to mind. You know, we're coming into an election cycle And so we're hearing a lot about economic indicators, but, you know, the method of calculating things like inflation or unemployment can really affect people's perception of the state of the economy. So, you know, did they use the consumer price index or did they use the producer price index for inflation? Or how did they measure underemployment or unemployment? Did they use survey data or administrative data? You get a lot of different answers and therefore a lot of different impressions of how the economy is going. And this can go through almost every topic. If you think about educational performance, the design of tests and assessments in education and what they measure, for example, rote memorization versus critical thinking really will influence our understanding of both the student capabilities, but also of the education system. So learning how to measure patient experience really, really matters. And there's a lot of nuances to this. I'm glad we have you, Kelly, and our guests to help us sort through this. So today, we have the privilege of having Lori Wilshusen. She's a quality administrator over the Mayo Clinic Experience Research Team. And Lori, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me today. I've had the pleasure of leading the Experience Research Team at Mayo Clinic for the last five years, but I've been doing this work for about 30 years now. So we definitely have some insights that we can share in terms of of, uh, measuring the patient experience. First of all, I'm just going to react to the fact that you are our leader over our Mayo Clinic Experience Research Team. And uh, what I love about that, and I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak on some of these topics at various quality meetings and so forth that we've had, is that you really bring things to a whole new level. And so I think our listeners are going to really love to hear what you have to say. But maybe we could just start out with, what is Mayo Clinic's philosophy for collecting patient experience data? Well, one thing I know is a luxury is that we actually have a patient experience research team at Mayo Clinic. So I know not everybody has that advantage. So I think it's important to think from a big perspective 
of what's important in terms of measurement and understanding what patients want to tell us about their experiences at whatever hospital or healthcare facility they're, they're at. So we have the benefit of having a team that's dedicated to this, that has done this work in, for a long time, has a lot of experience, but we know not everybody has that advantage. And, and I'm super grateful to Mayo Clinic for placing this as a, an important thing for us to do. Philosophically, we wanna do what can be measured and what can be reliable. So we are measuring using some standardized measures using the exact same methodology every day to make sure that we're getting replicable results. So what I believe is that you must have that foundation of reliable data to work with to begin with. And then you can go from there and experiment and try new things and look at different types of measurements. So what we do is we have these standardized measures. We use a, what we would call a mixed mode methodology. So we use digital, we use paper, we try different things in order to get that complete picture and try to keep your response rates as high as possible. But the important thing about measuring is that you're doing it at the same time. We never ask patients their experience at, at Mayo Clinic the day of their visit or the day of their hospitalization. We wanna give them some time to have perspective. So we're always measuring the day after, 24 to 48 hours after their visit, they get approached with a survey. That's for all of our standardized measures, but we have other, other tools that we can talk about down the road. Lori, if I might ask, you just made an interesting point. So you wait that 48 hours now, is that so that you have consistency in terms of the time that you're asking them at, or is there characteristically different responses if you ask somebody you know, as they're leaving the waiting room or the hospital versus 48 hours later. Help us learn a little bit about that. Well, it's really fascinating because, well, to me, first of all, we don't want to bother our patients while they're getting medical care. So if we're asking them questions when they're here as a patient, maybe we should be asking about them and not us. But we also know that people don't give very clear perspectives on their experience the day they're getting it. So we did a study a few years ago looking at what scores you get while the patient is still in the building and what scores do you get a couple of days later. Mm -hmm. And generally the scores are about 13 percentage points lower once they've left the building. So it's really hard to criticize somebody you've just seen. You haven't gotten home to think about, oh, I don't, what, what was I supposed to do? And what prescription was I supposed to fill? And how much was I supposed to take? And all of those things, you don't really have a moment to reflect on that until after the experience. So we try not to ask them things while they're in the building because we know that their reflections are not quite as, let's say helpful to us until after they've left. Yeah, I can certainly identify with that. Having family members who go to the physician or who are admitted to a hospital and their views on things right when they leave and, and a few days later are different. Yeah, pretty different. And then that, you know, you get more reliable results if you approach it with a standard, like two days, one day later, instead of saying, well, six weeks later, we'll ask them the questions or right when they're in the building, we'll ask them the questions. So we go with that. That gives us the most reliable data. Yeah, that is so important. And I, I think that's, Timing is is so key. So thank you for emphasizing that. And what else? I mean, we talked about timing of when we give the survey, but what else? What are important things when we're listening to the experience of patients that we should be aware of? Well, one thing we really look for is some internal validity. So we do all of the good math things, all the statistics work, but we also like to look at the open-ended comments on our surveys. 
We've changed all of our surveys in the last five years to ask patients very specifically what most impressed you and what most disappointed you about your experience. And what that tells us is actually what's most important to them. What we find in our data is that when we follow through on our values and we reflect our values back to our patients, that's when they're most impressed with their experiences. So when they see things like respect, integrity, compassion, the things that we are very vocal about in terms of explaining our culture to staff members, they really respond well. They want that human connection. They're talking about things that are very real within their experience. They wanna be seen and heard, understood, have that reflected back to them, and then they can trust us with their medical care. When they're disappointed with their experience, it's generally when they don't feel we followed through on our values. We didn't listen to them. We didn't treat them with compassion. We hear those things occasionally too. So that helps us to understand not just that our data is accurate, but that our data is reflecting back what the patient's experience. So we, we know we can ask the right questions. We ask whether there was a connection, whether we listened to your concerns, all of those sorts of things. So it's a lot of actually doing the statistics work, but also doing the internal validation with the qualitative findings. Lori, when patients fill out, let's say more survey-like questions, you know, maybe a scale of one to five or things like that, I think we can all sense how that would be fairly easy to uh, characterize or statistically describe. Well, let me ask you this. How many patients are being asked to share their experience with Mayo Clinic on an annual basis, roughly? Over a million. We get about a half a million surveys back, and I realize that's a lot of qualitative data to look well, at. That's what I was going to ask you. So you have all this textual data now. How do you go about wading through that? I, yeah. I guess you're staying up late reading a lot lately. Yeah, well, I could do that, yeah. and I do do that. But we have some tools that help us to do that better and more efficiently. So we use some natural language processing tools that help us to categorize our survey responses. So those particular questions that I mentioned, the most impressed and most disappointed questions, there were no standard models out there in the world for us to use. So we had to develop our own models and we were able to tie them very closely to our values that help us to understand how patients are reflecting that back to us. So we're processing about 25,000 comments a week, trying to understand what those are saying. I could read all week long and I don't know if I'd make it through by if I was trying to categorize them by hand, but fortunately we have some really great tools to help us do that. So how do you know if the data that you're getting is accurate and truly reflects the patient experience? Well, I can't say that there's a perfect way to know that, but like I mentioned earlier, We'd like to be able to categorize the open-ended comments and correlate them with the internal components. We also spend a lot of time working directly with the practice. What happens when you do that is you hear what's actually happening in the practice. So if you go and have a conversation with the chair of surgery and there's some anomaly in the data and it's telling you something unusual or new, you can look at the data and go, okay, well, I don't know what happened. Maybe the data is wrong. It's so common that when you actually invest the time to have that conversation, you'll find out that something actually has happened within the practice that's telling you that. That's when I know that my data is really accurate and that we're collecting true reflective experiences from the patient. We just received one this morning, as a matter of fact. We There was one of our smaller practices that 
had a sudden change in their results to the negative. And we didn't know what was going on. But when we went and dug into the data and looked at it, we found that, found that there was a new appointment type showing up. And that new appointment type was same day appointment. So we had people who were not seeing their paneled physician in a primary care setting. They were, they were seeing who was available at that time. And it wasn't the person they had a relationship with. And their results are very different than if they were seeing their primary doctor. So we know that there was a practice change that we're actually measuring with the data that we're collecting. And mm. it's telling us the story, even if we didn't know what the story was until we did the work to go find it out. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating story. And so just to kind of summarize in terms of really being comfortable that the data that you're getting is reflecting patient experience, it sounds like the answer is what we in quality say is go to the Gemba, you know, go to the work site, find out, does this signal make sense to you all? Can you explain why it's happening this way? And if you're seeing that, then you, your confidence in the answers uh, becomes much, much higher. It is. It, it really raises my confidence in the data. And then it tends to also raise the the confidence of the practice in the data. It's like, oh, you saw this? You know something real is happening. Let's talk about it and let's tell you what, what the patients are saying about it. Yeah, that's great. And I also recognize though that there are so many questions that we do ask the patient. We try to be careful about, I'm assuming, how many questions we ask because we don't want survey fatigue or them to just mark the same score for multiple questions. We want it to be meaningful. What do you feel when you look at the questions? What do you feel are the most important metrics when we look at this data? Well, there's a lot of debate about that in my field. So we're constantly looking at new questions and trying new things. But I'm very concerned that we're overburdening our patients with the number of survey questions and the number of surveys. So if you come and you have one experience, you might hear from one team getting one survey and then another team getting another survey five minutes later, and we don't want to overdo it. What we're using currently as our primary measure is likelihood to recommend. I don't know that it's long-term going to be the, the perfect question for anything, but I do know that it does tell us a lot about what's going on in the practice. And we can use that to identify what questions on the survey correlate most closely with that. For us, it's always teamwork. If they see us reflecting teamwork, the patients give us a high score and likelihood to recommend. But I'm sure other hospitals, other clinics have similar types of questions that they're using. From there, you want to make sure that all the questions in the surveys tell you something that's critical to the patient. Because if we're wasting their time with a lot of questions they think are irrelevant, they're less likely to fill out the survey. So response rates are very important to make sure that we keep them as high as possible. And that means not wasting their time. What do you think is next for patient? experience measurement. You know, we've had surveys, we've, we, they first were paper, now they're electronic. What's the new and bold? There's a lot of interesting things going on in our world. First, I would say there are changes coming in the questions we're asking, because as we get smarter every day about what's important to the patients, we have to reflect back to them what they think is important. We are focusing on some questions that don't just do what HCAPs or other standardized government surveys that require very specific, did this happen? Did that happen? Did another thing happen? We've been focusing on more what satisfies the patient, what makes them likely to recommend you to someone else. In the future, I think we'll be looking at other things. 
One of those things is what emotions you're experiencing. How are we connecting to you as a person who's going through a medical problem? Some of those kinds of questions that we've been experimenting with have been getting us some interesting information back. So I think that's one of the future directions. But we're also looking at some things that are more about relationships. So at Mayo, we have a, a unique position in that we're not looking to keep patients in our care for their entire lives. We're generally treating them for serious and complex medical conditions. In our primary care sites, yes, we're still looking to do that, keep them connected to us and provide care over a long period of time. But if we are their resource for a serious and complex medical concern, are we looking to have them answer a question about, I will come back to you for every little thing that's wrong with me? Or do we want to talk to them about their primary measure being, I would come back to you for something that was like this? Or I feel like we have a strong enough relationship that I would trust you to provide care for my family members in the future. So we're looking at some measures like trust. We're looking at some relationship measures. I think those will be exciting things as, as we work in the next few years. Yeah, you know, Lori, I, I'm really interested to hear about that because as you know, certain companies, certain healthcare organizations have for many years enjoyed very strong reputations or brand strength. I remember reading some articles a number of years ago that brand in many ways has sort of been a proxy for quality, if you will, or for a certain aspect of its service or product, but that now with a much more public sharing of people's thoughts about what they actually got and how it met their needs, brand, it's still important, but it can't be taken at as, as necessarily a proxy for meeting that person's needs. And for me as a quality leader, I'm sitting here thinking, well, there's the issue of the patient's trust or willingness to recommend or things like that. And then there's the issue of, did we actually fix the problem that they came looking for a solution, which I realize are very you know closely aligned, but mm -hmm. it sounds like in your research unit, you're really starting to think in a much more segmented way about those who come to our destination or academic centers with highly complex care. You're thinking about what would be important to them differently, perhaps, than can I get the primary care that I need at my local clinic? Because we have the Mayo Clinic health system that provides a lot of community care as well. To me, that's very exciting that you're starting to think differently about those things. They're very different objectives. What are you trying to achieve with doing these, this research? What do you want to know? And what is your business objective that you're trying to measure? So we have different business objectives based upon what we're providing. And then we want to make sure that we're meeting those needs that our patients are having long-term. So this might be a little off topic, but I think you'll understand what I'm talking about here. So we've been measuring the reputation of Mayo Clinic since the 1990s, doing brand research, understanding the brand and how people use it as a proxy for quality. I remember the first study I was doing on brand for Mayo so long ago. I remember being frustrated because people couldn't tell me what was good about Mayo. It was just good. It was just the reputation. It's something nice. Okay, then I can trust it. Then I read the Dartmouth Atlas study. I don't know if you, I know Dr. Keller oh, yeah. is familiar with it, but I don't know if everybody is. It was a study talking about the care that people received at the end of their lives and how it was actually less expensive at Mayo than it was at other places. So what I 
was trying to understand at that time, well, why could that be? And it looks like based upon the data we reviewed that it's because people trust us. They aren't asking for an extra MRI. They aren't asking for those extra services. So trust is super important, not just for the patient to feel good about their care, but to make sure that we're doing the right things for the patient, not wasting the limited resources of our healthcare system. So those things are all intertwined. And if our end goal is then trust and making sure that the patient is engaged in their care and we're delivering the care that they feel like they're getting the right thing, I think it's the best thing for everyone. So Lori, that's so important. And if I'm a leader at an organization and I want to get started or improve this, this podcast has ignited my passion again to really look at our experience data, where should I start? Well, there are always experts around who are providing the data, working with the data, and they can give you some insights. But it's most important to just read it. Go into the data, try to see how it reflects back what's happening in the patient's perspective. Try to understand what is important that's being asked and maybe what's less important that's being asked. And actually read through some of the comments of the patients because it will tell you the story of what's going on with them. Beyond that, I would say beware of shiny objects. We actually do need some standardized measures so we can get replicable results over time. So you're actually looking at trends and patterns. Look at things like seasonality. Are there things going on when everybody goes on vacation? Are there things that are happening within the data that can tell you the story? The shiny objects in this world tend to be what I call real-time data. People are really into that right now. And we can collect a lot of great real-time data, which is what exactly is happening with the patients while they're there. But I would also caution people from saying, let's interrupt people when they're in the middle of their care. Let's be compassionate about what's going on in their lives. Trust that they will give us feedback in a day or two. But we are looking at ways of opening communication channels, things like saying, oh my gosh, if you had trouble with parking, how can we help you find parking right now? So be open and receptive to real-time feedback, maybe not through a real-time survey, but from more real-time feedback that is helping the patient while they're getting care that's actually solving a problem for them in the moment. So Lori, I'm going to throw a wild one at you here. We just came out of holiday season here. I'm sure you've attended a number of parties, families, friends, maybe just acquaintances, office mates. And somebody says, Lori, what's the most exciting thing that you're doing in patient experience, data measurement and analysis right now? What would you say? Probably the most exciting thing is working with the natural language processing tools that are helping us to really get deep understanding into what patients are saying, rather than the good old stats that we've used for years and years. Because I think people can relate when they hear a real story. And this is where we're finding the great stories. And so now I'm going to ask you the other side. I'm almost hesitant to bring this up because it's something maybe that I'm a little ashamed of that happened probably 15 years ago or something. But I know sometimes as you're explaining patient experience data and what it's telling you that certain medical leaders don't always experience that discussion well. They have resistance to the data. They have questions. What do you think are the biggest obstacles to overcome? I'm sure that some of our listeners have encountered what I'm talking about. Well, I read a great article about the five stages of grief in understanding patient experience data many years ago, which really helped me get some insight into what physicians go through when they see their own data, which is you've got all those normal stages you're going through, denial, bargaining. It takes a long time to get to acceptance, right? Because it's hard. It's emotional. It's personal. 
It's talking about what work you're doing that you're so passionate about. So the most important thing for someone in my role is to understand the emotions behind it. And we have some great folks who've given me good advice here at Mayo to talk about, first, let's, let's empathize. Let's reflect on what the other person is experiencing. This surely isn't what you wanted to hear. And really empathize with that situation. And then go back and say, now tell me how you want your data to look. What's your goal here? And understanding the data, getting into it, understanding how people are reflecting back to you what they're seeing in our practice. What don't you think is true about this? Well, how could we get better information? It's really important to recognize that this highly emotional information <laughs> and that uh, people need to be able to take a step back and, and really think of it a little less emotionally. And then acknowledging that emotion is probably the best way to get started that way. Those were golden nuggets, Lori. Uh, Kelly, do you have any other questions or comments about today's podcast topic? No, but thank you, Lori, so much for joining us. This has been so valuable. So glad that you could join us. Yeah, thanks so much. Sharing your expertise and, and great words of wisdom. So we've come to the end of our podcast, and we're glad that you could join us. And we hope that the information provided has been insightful and valuable. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to highlight some first steps in addressing important quality challenges in your organization. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations that we all serve. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be really grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a rating on Spotify, or feedback wherever you listen. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Please let others in your organization know about the podcast so the information can be spread. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.